Warning. The following broadcast may contain content that is unsuitable for children and sensitive individuals. This is Port Renton's Almanac, Episode 4, The Crypt Keeper. It begins now. Hello, survivors and shut-ins. It's been a slow couple of weeks since I've been letting my ankle heal up. Got to read through a lot of technical manuals for the weird electronics down here. I understand a few of the more basic devices a little better now, but a lot of the books might as well have been written in Aramaic. I think I got the reel-to-reel working. When I load it up with the tape and mash play, it makes noise, but it sounds more like my crappy dial-up modem than music. Uh, I'm gonna clean the heads again and try a couple of other reels before I take it apart. There's so many moving parts, I'd probably screw something up. Eh, it's fine. It keeps me busy. I like screwing around with mechanical stuff anyhow. In other news, I've been hearing more noises. I'm trying to tell myself that the banging on the top hatch is just a fallen tree, or maybe a piece of debris blown on top of it. And try not to think of a roaming band of madmen trying to get in. Uh, let me know if you have any tried and true methods to make sure that you're not going insane. I have currently no way to know and would appreciate some input. I can only clean so much from 20-year-old bulletin board posts that I can get on my laptop. I honestly don't know what's real anymore. Uh, not, not that I ever did in the first place. Well, anyhow, got a hell of a story for you this time. It's called Crib Keeper. And I hope you can stay warm and dry. Kilpatrick was alone, and he was used to it, and he liked it. The January wind off Lake Michigan was cold and off-key, finding its way through chinks in the ancient masonry like refrigerator whispers. The lake was kicking up around the 68th Street water crib, waves slapping the century-old walls of the man-made island, reminding it that it had never belonged there. Kilpatrick cleared his throat, loudly, and added a bit of himself to the lake. Morning, Mitch, you son of a bitch. The wind had woken him up at six o'clock. He hadn't even made coffee yet. The sky was so clear and bright that if you turned your back on the city and looked at the horizon, you couldn't tell where the lake stopped and the sky started. He turned back around and saw his crumbling shack, haloed by the jagged teeth of the lakefront skyline. He was reminded of why he no longer returned to shore. He squinted down at the water and spat again. At that very moment, the wind changed and flung a loogie back into the cuff of his jeans. <clears throat> Glad I wasn't pissing this time, Mitch. The wind picked up on a new vector and nearly blew the cap off his head. Yeah, screw you too. He was halfway through his plate of eggs and beans when he heard the ugly honk of the icebreaker outside. Kilpatrick finished his coffee and shrugged into his peacoat. Through the window, he could see Sam waving out of the pilot window of the icebreaker. The hull was squealing against the tire bunkers that were roped up around the landing dock. Kilpatrick turned up his collar and saluted Sam on his stout little tugboat. 
Hey, Sam, what do you say? Sam walked out of the pilot's compartment and saluted back. Bad times, killer. Been hearing the news? Less news I hear, happier I am. True, true, but... Sam broke off and looked around like there might be somebody listening. He sighed. Come on in. You want some coffee? Not the way you make it. That mud damn near killed me last time I had it. (laughs) Fine, fine. You want some grape soda? Sam smirked and gave Kilpatrick the finger. Thanks, but I had plenty of that back at the chicken shack. Now listen. He hopped off the boat and onto the concrete dock, holding two fat bags of groceries. He dropped them, got close to Kilpatrick, slapped him on the shoulder, and brought him in close. Listen, killer, this is some serious shit. I know the city doesn't know you're still living here, but I do. I just want you to know I might not be able to bring you your groceries or anything for a while. Kilpatrick grumped and crossed his arms. I can take care of myself. Sam looked down like he'd stepped on attack. Yeah, yeah, I know. Sucking his teeth, Sam looked up at the falcon nest on the tower of the lighthouse. I'm just saying, I may not be around for a while. I was the only son of a bitch that showed up for work today, and that might be the way it is for a while. The lady falcon came to nest, and the little chicks started freaking out. You still letting those damn birds live up on your island? Better than a cat. You don't have to let them out. Or scoop a litter box. Sam looked sad. Can't pet a bird. Kilpatrick looked at the strange cloud front that was coming in. You ever tried? Sam shook his head, looked down. Alright, no beating around the bush. You might die if you stay here. I can take you home right now. He paused and lit a cigarette. Kilpatrick was still looking at the clouds. So what's going on that's big enough to keep you on land? I haven't read anything in the papers except for maybe the protests that have been going on. A lot of shit all at once. Riots. There was a bombing. People disappearing. News isn't really talking about it. Gotta come home. But what if something breaks down air? There's a million, maybe two million people without water. Killer, you know this shit's all automated now. That's why they got that pink slip to you back in the 90s. Forced retirement. Whatever. Kilpatrick felt his pockets and looked at the sky. Uh, Listen, can I get one of those new ports? Yeah, yeah, here. Sam lit the cigarette for the slightly older man. Alright, if everything was okay mainland, like I was just getting evicted for squatting out here, I'd go, no problem. But now you're here telling me the city is in some serious foobar bullshit, telling me that I should abandon my post when I might really be able to do something. He took a hard pull on the Newport, which made him cough. How do you suppose, said Sam. The wind whipped around them, at least ten degrees colder than it had been a moment before. Kilpatrick held his cap down, and Sam put up his hood, cupped his smoke. You know this automation shit ain't perfect, Sam. 
Hell, I fish garbage out of the screens all the time. I don't call that perfect. I suppose. And, and this cold front coming in. What, what if one of the heaters breaks out there and the intake freezes over? Yeah? What if it's 20 degrees below and your heater breaks near your station, asshole? I'll put on a sweater and do my damn job. Jesus, man! You don't have a job! Who said? City of Chicago. Just tell him I'm dead. Sam turned his face down and looked up at Kilpatrick with just his eyes. You sure about that? He blew a big cloud of smoke. It changed his voice. Huh. I wouldn't be the first dead guy on the payroll. He coughed and nearly lost his cigarette. Sam chuckled. All right. I thought you might be like this. He motioned to the bags. That's why I brought you two weeks of groceries. All I could really do... I appreciate it, Sam. See you in a couple weeks. The cloud front had rolled over the city, dark and soupy. Lights began to wink on in the skyscrapers. Ah, sure hope so. The icebreaker let out one last wail when it was mile out, then was lost in the fuzz of snow that had begun to blow down. Kilpatrick thought of the last time he'd seen Bridget. It was a day much like this. The wind stung his eyes, and there wasn't much to see. So, he went inside. He heated the rest of his coffee back up and put away the groceries. Sam had said it was two weeks' worth, but Kilpatrick bet he could make it last for at least three, maybe four, if he kept it lean. He could stand to slim down a bit. First week passed like any cold winter week would. The clouds never broke. The winds never completely stopped. The lake froze over, farther from the coast every day. The icebreaker never appeared to cut channels in the ice as it usually would. The snow continued. The birds were making more of a racket that morning when Kilpatrick went out in his heavy coats and hunting cap to do some shoveling. The mother falcon was nowhere in sight, and he couldn't recall hearing her much at all that week. He hiked up the ladder to the catwalk that ringed the lighthouse. The nest had been blown from the overhang that had protected it, and the chicks lay huddled in what remained of it. The wind was buffeting their soft brown feathers, making them squint and cry. Kilpatrick hesitated. He moved to grab them, maybe get the nest back together, but remember you shouldn't touch chicks, though he wasn't sure if that was true. He moved back to the ladder. He wasn't their mother. She'd be back soon. Once he'd gotten down, the peeping abruptly stopped. Something inside of him dropped. Kilpatrick turned around, sighed, and hustled back up the ladder. The two tiny birds immediately renewed their chorus. You tricky little bastards. Okay, I'll help you out until Mom gets home. He took off his fur-lined cap and put it down over the chicks. There. Now shut up. Down below, back in the shack, he found a tin of sardines and heated it up on the stove. Back up the ladder, he slid the tin of steaming fish under the brim of his former hat. 
the chicks went to town. Don't eat too fast. He put a couple of chunks of broken masonry down on the ear flaps to keep the hat from blowing away. The second week only got colder. When the sun weakly pushed through the clouds on occasion, he saw a large and dark city that was breathing smoke. Still no sign of the mother hawk, and he was running out of sardines. He'd made the birds nest out of scrap wood and old t-shirts. They seemed to like it well enough. He'd eaten slow and low himself, so the groceries would last a little while longer, if he was careful. A new Sunday paper hadn't come with the groceries, and he had read every article, ad, classified listing in the old paper. He turned on the TV, which he hadn't touched in years, but it didn't pick up any of the new digital broadcasts. The radio wasn't much help either. The only stations he could pick up, no matter how much he screwed with the antenna, were in Spanish, or recorded religious stuff. He didn't speak either language very well. He spent a couple of hours scanning through the old official band radio, tried calling the water department to see if everything was okay. Nothing but static and generic emergency recordings. He felt like he was on Mars, and he liked it. The chicks seemed to be doing well, as far as Kilpatrick could tell. The weather had only gotten colder, so he started bringing a hot water bottle up to them with their dinner. One evening, he sorted through all the cupboards and pantries to take inventory of what he had left. Back behind a couple expired cans of creamed corn, he found something that he had forgotten. The bottle of scotch had been 20 years old when the city gave it to him for his retirement. Were there somebody to sell it to, it would probably be worth two or three hundred dollars. Kilpatrick hadn't had a beer in months, let alone whiskey. He rubbed the dust off the bottle with his sleeve. Something twinkled in his eye. Yeah, why the hell not? A couple hours later, and a good chunk of the bottle was gone. The pantry remained half-sorted. Kilpatrick's shoebox of memories was spread over the kitchen table. Pictures, newspaper clippings, his badges from when he was in the service. He was sniffing over a Kodachrome print of a beautiful woman on the deck of a sailboat when the lights flickered and died. The constant clatter of automation in the crib ground to a halt. All he could hear were the whistling walls and the ticking of an oil heater rapidly cooling down. Jesus Christ, this is why I'm here. I tried to tell you. He shuffled all of his scraps into the center of the table and stumbled, standing up. The booze had snuck up on him, especially since he'd skipped dinner. His boot knocked into a number of dark objects on his way to the coat. Outside, he could see the city. It looked like a large part of the southern grid had gone down. There was a perceptible line between utter darkness and barely there luminescence. What made Kilpatrick stop and drop his keys was far more alarming than that. Clouds climbed miles high above the city, so thick they looked like mountains in that otherwise flat land. Kilpatrick stared at the red-orange sky. Within the clouds, high above the city, was another city. Gray, shaded ghostly. It was inverted, 
like it had its roots in the lower stratosphere and it was built down to the ground. He saw it before him and screamed. The wind quickened and blew snow over his keys. He swore and kicked the snow in a growing spiral, listening for a jingle. His ears were burning cold without his hat, but the fury in him kept steam rising from his shoulders. Finally, after God had damned at least two dozen things, he found the keys and shuffled to the lower intake of the crib as fast as he could. His joints were tightening up in the cold, but after ten minutes of yanking at the starter, he got the preliminary generator started. It chugged as the lights came back on, but the heaters and the filters of the water supply did not. There was a bigger diesel generator for those things, and it burnt through fuel like a son of a bitch. There was maybe three days of gas on the crib to keep that thing running. He shined his flashlight down into the well of the intake. The water hadn't frozen yet, probably wouldn't for hours. It would be fine for the night. He throttled down the small generator until the lights just began to dim and trudged back to the shack. He'd been able to forget about the city in the sky while he was doing his job, but it was waiting for him up in the clouds when he crossed the landing dock. His eyes started tearing up. I don't know what you're up to, Mitch, but I don't like it. Somehow, it appeared the ice had gotten closer to the island in the last half hour. Back inside, he started the heater back up on low and turned off all the lights except for one. He wished he could smoke like back in the old days. He left his jacket on and fell asleep reading an article on the closing of his father's butcher shop. He dreamed that his island was sinking, not into the water, but slowly sucked up into the sky. The third week arrived without him noticing. He'd stopped marking the calendar after the city appeared. Some part of him hoped that all of this was a dream that he would soon wake up from. His remaining food had dwindled down to one shelf of the pantry, and none of what was left seemed appetizing even though he was hungry all the time. He'd fed the chicks the last half tin of sardines that morning, and he didn't imagine they'd be interested in any of the beans or pasta that remained. He kept the water intake clear by running the big generator only a few hours at a time. The heaters loosened up the layer of ice on the well enough for him to crack it into manageable pieces with an ice spear. It had been years since he had to manually remove the ice, between how out of shape he had become and how little he had been eating, the daily task left him exhausted. He cracked his back and checked the jerry cans of fuel. He figured there was three days left in it. Tops. The whole week he'd been going about his tedious routine, he refused to look at the sky. But today, he could resist no longer. The city was still shimmering in the clouds. If anything, closer and larger than before. The real city before him had grown darker, more of a silhouette of light than a source. Kilpatrick pulled the brim of his ball cap down and blocked out the apparition. The 
chicks were making more noise than ever before. He climbed up and saw that they had already polished off the sardines. They had grown noticeably over the weeks, and so had their appetite. Kilpatrick figured he should do something about it. He didn't have anything else to do, after all. While a can of beans was warming up on the oil heater in the kitchen, Kilpatrick fiddled with the fishing pole that had seemed hopelessly tangled in the back of a broom closet for years. By the time the beans were steaming, he had the pole in working order and mounted it with a shining lure. He hoped the fake rubber bait would do the trick. He'd only fished with live bait before. The lake had frozen all the way up to the city side of the crib, so he circled around to the far side that was still clear of ice. The calls of the birds receded in the distance, and all he could hear were the wind and the waves. He cast the line and hoped for the best. It took a little over a half an hour before he got a bite. The fish put up a fight, but Kilpatrick got it up onto the steel grid of the catwalk. His hands were numb from the cold. He couldn't get a grip on the slippery perch as it flopped and gasped at his feet. He hugged himself for warmth and waited for it to stop moving. The fish was colder than his hands. He was wondering if he should heat up the fish with birds when he came around the crib to a silence that was louder than any sound he'd ever heard. The wind had stopped and the birds were silent. The city and the sky had grown. Everywhere, around, the ethereal city smeared the horizon. From north to south, east to west, the earth seemed to have stopped spinning, and Kilpatrick felt like a fly that had fallen into a cold drink. Fish in hand, he climbed to the bird's nest. The birds were gone. He checked the snow surrounding the nest for prints, but if there had been any, the wind had erased them. He didn't know much about birds, but it looked like their feathers had grown in at least enough for them to try to fly. He climbed down and started gently sweeping through the snow around the perimeter of the lighthouse. He felt strange. A month ago, the little bastards had been nothing but a nuisance, but now... Here he was, destroying his fingers with cold, searching for them. He regretted for a moment that he had never named them, then was thankful he hadn't. He was ready to give up after fifteen minutes, when a thrashing blur exploded from the snow a couple feet to his right. Kilpatrick moved as fast as his frozen feet would allow and snatched up the thrashing bird. He zipped it into his coat, and, grabbing the fish he had dropped earlier, went back inside. Even with the heater on low, the drafty shack seemed cozy compared to the outdoors. The bird had stopped thrashing, and was now wriggling around more in confusion than in pain. Kilpatrick jumped the rest of the photos and scraps out of his memory box, and gingerly placed the bird in it. It flapped a few times, but settled on its chest. Eyes closed, but breathing steadily. He covered it in a couple of dish towels. He warmed his hands over the oil heater and looked through the window, watching for any sign of movement. Nothing. He hoped that the other bird had succeeded at flying and made it someplace safe. 
he didn't have it in him to go out there and search. It was the coldest Kilpatrick could remember it had been in years. The wooden parts of the shelter creaked and groaned. Without more heat, he wasn't sure how long it would hold out. Once he'd warmed up with a couple cups of hot water from the kettle, he bundled up again and headed down to the crib. He dumped the last of the fuel into both generators and fired up the intake heater for the last time. Some would say he was crying. Some would say he was happy. One could say he was crazy. Only he would know. Chilled tears streaming down his wind-burnt cheeks as he broke up the ice blocking the intake. I'm so goddamn tired, Bridget. I think... I think I might be coming to see you soon. He stabbed some more ice. I'm tired of being cold. I'm tired of being alone. This world isn't the same without you. He was so weary when he was done that he let go of the ice spear. It sank down into the depths of the intake. He made it back into the shack and checked on the falcon. Its head had poked out over the edge of the memory box, regarding the perch that Kilpatrick had slapped down on the table. Hey, bird. I'm taking a trip. He walked over to the window farthest from the table and cracked it open about four inches. You can leave when you want. You got that fish till you can. Okay? The falcon let out a weak, though adult-sounding squawk. Yeah, you'll be okay. The bird just looked at him, then hid back under the towels. Kilpatrick turned out the lights and closed the door behind him. Outside was white on white. Even though it was nighttime and the city sky blotted out most of the moonlight, it was still bright enough to navigate. Kilpatrick climbed down the ladder on the side of the boat landing and carefully tested the ice. First with one foot, then both. It seemed strong enough to hold him, at least right there. All right, Mitch, here I come. The wind was still and the expanse of lake was eerily silent, save for the crunch of snow under his feet. The city in the sky was more visible than the real city, two miles off over the ice. He started walking slowly, testing each step, but soon the cold began to creep into him and he picked up pace. Progress was still slow, the coast didn't seem to be getting any closer, though when he looked behind him, the crib was already out of sight. Only the blinking beacon of the lighthouse was visible, and it seemed sickly and weak. A few minutes later, Kilpatrick was puffing into his gloves for warmth when a terrifying sound made him stop and jump back. It was like a giant hand popping all of its knuckles. His quick movement threw him off balance, and he slipped and fell on his side. His landing caused another chorus of cracks. He lay there, recovering from the shock. He figured he had traveled about a mile so far. The ice would be the thinnest out here. His heart was pounding painfully. He tried to breathe deeply, 
and calm himself down. His eyes rolled to the sky and the infinite city that circled it. The city, the cold, the lake, they were all around him and in him. Uh, not today, Mitch. The wind began to howl once more, and snow began to blow over him. He started to crawl on elbows and knees to better distribute his weight. His whole body ached, and every yard was a battle. The snow blotted everything from view, like he was in a terrible frozen cloud. He had no way of knowing he was going in the right direction. His bad knee was seizing up in the cold, and he imagined a rescue crew finding his frozen corpse in a rut, ten yards in circumference and circular. He paused to catch his breath. His vision was getting dim, like his eyes were frosting over. He squinted and shook the snow from his head. Crawling on, shivering, he could hear pops and cracks all around him. A few feet in front of him, a small mound stood out from the flatness of the freeze. Kilpatrick moved to it and dusted the snow off it. Falcon was stiff and cold. Kilpatrick's hands shivered just over its body. I, I thought you could make it. He pushed himself to his feet, covered the bird in snow, and walked stiffly on a few steps. The howling wind over the lake ripped right through what remained of Kilpatrick's sanity. He stopped walking and slapped his hands over his ears. God damn it, Mitch! Enough! You got me! He stomped his foot. The lake popped an answer. You take everything from me! Clouds of breath steamed between his clenched teeth. The sky was wrong. Everything felt sick and orange. He stamped his foot again, feeling only pins and needles. What do you want from me? There was a voice on the wind, as though the lake was sighing. Answer me! He stamped again. There was a crack. And he was gone. lightened up. The storm front faded and passed. For the first time in weeks, a naked sun was visible, brighter than ever before. No longer veiled by exhaust smoke and particulate the city usually produced, the wind had carried it away. From the stone island, only one strand of pollution could be seen. It belched from a tugboat, slowly breaking its way through the ice toward the crib. Inside the shack, the lights dimmed as the generator sipped at the last of its fuel. The Falcon nervously hopped between the ledge of an open window and the top of the oil heater. The radio crackled to life. Killer! Killer, you hear me? It's Sam! Come in! The bird cocked its head to the strange sound. Hope you're getting this. The service yard is ghost town. The city ain't working anymore. I got the tug working again. I'm heading out to pick you up now. Don't care if I have to knock you out. You can't stay there anymore. 
You can stay at my place. Still has electricity and the fires haven't gotten too close. The bird flapped its wings and poked its head through the crack in the window. Come on, killer. You there? I didn't spend two weeks getting this wreck running just to find you dead in the shitter. The falcon looked back at the radio, squeezed under the sill, and took flight over the ice, over the boat, toward the city. Kill Patrick! Kill Patrick, you hear me? There's a brief surge as the generator sputtered and ran out of gas. story. I hope you heard it. Long in coming. Well, I actually knew one of the dudes in this story, so it took me a long time to really do him justice. If any of my listeners didn't know, the winter in Chicago is a terribly isolating thing. Some days, being outside is nothing but suffering and swearing. The one bright side is that the gunshots slow down. Well, I guess they like to save their ammo for spring. Well, hell, it's spring now, isn't it? It's been a while since I broadcast. The changing of the seasons always hits me hard, especially hard this year since I've been underground. Some days it's hard enough just to get out of bed, let alone sit in front of a typewriter and get work done. My anxiety is getting pretty bad. The noises on the hatch to the surface aren't helping much. Like the hero of the story I just told, I'm running out of supplies, so I'm finally going to have to poke my head out into the sunlight and see what I can snatch. It's going to have to be in the next week or so. I'm almost out of beans and peanut butter, and the crackers I got are stale. I have no idea what's waiting for me up there. The old steel mill was pretty isolated to start out with before shit hit the fan. But who knows how things have changed in the months I've spent underground. I know Chicago. And even though it's April, it may be freaking snowing up there when I step out. I hope I can find some books and food, of course. There's a couple corner stores I might be able to hit up, and there's Walgreens not too far away. Might get lucky there. Who knows? Maybe my next story will just be about my adventure into the strange new world. I like talking to you guys, but I express myself better through fiction. Even when I'm underground, I've got my head in the clouds, I guess. Oh, (laughs) and by the way, I'm an idiot. I found out what was up with the tape player. It was functioning perfectly, but the tapes don't have music on them. They have data. That's what the modem sound was. Ones and zeros. Now, I just need to figure out how to get it to talk with one of the old terminals down here. Oh, joy. Maybe those ancient bulletin boards I found online will still be a service. Oh, I've got a lot of work ahead of me, so I should probably sign off. Stay secret, stay safe. This has been Poor Brenton. Have a nice life. Poor Brenton's Almanac is a production of Holy Crow Press. All content, including words, music, and voice, were created by Brenton Harper Murray, unless otherwise known. 
Corporate Almanac is protected by a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License, which means you can copy it and share it, just don't sell it.